All right. It took a bit longer than normal, but we're back. Yes, we are. Uh, welcome back to Favorite Things with Mark and Betsy. Yeah. Um, we probably need to change the name of it, shouldn't we? Honestly, in most places, I just call it Favorite Things. Okay. So, <laughs> I probably need to change the title card, but we'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, so... Welcome back, everybody. It took us a little bit longer than normal between some busier than normal weeks, a holiday, all kinds of good stuff. It's been a while since our last episode, but we're here uh, to talk about the final chapter of the Harry Potter franchise, the last two films, uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, parts one and two. Um, Before we get to that, we're going to talk briefly about uh, some of our favorite things that we've experienced in the meantime. Uh, and then we will get into the movie proper. All right. So, were you signaling at me for something? Yeah, because they cast me your remote control. Okay, I see that. <laughs> because because PlayStation remotes look delicious. Uh, uh, at least to cast. She's not the one that normally chews on things. Oh, they're teething. Uh, uh, <laughs> any at 12 years old. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I randomly walk over to things and just bite them now. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and he really does if you think he's lying about that. <laughs> Audience, you can't see me and the look I'm giving my wife. Just, it is a look of incredulity. Anyhow, uh, so some of our favorite things we've been experiencing. Betsy, do you want to start or you want me to start? I'll let you start. All right. So for me, uh, over the past couple of weeks, uh, I've had some time to continue to put my PlayStation through the paces. Uh, I've gotten to get about 30 hours deep into Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I've gotten to try out a few other games, and I'm still just love, love, loving it. Um, People will ask me uh, how I enjoy it, and then they'll either say, that's really cool, or they'll say, well, you really should get a PC. And I've got a message for all you PC Master Race snobs out there. (laughs) If you can get me a super fast... (laughs) high-powered, beautiful-looking PC that I can play with an included controller in my living room with 60 frames per second, 4K ray tracing, and it look as good, load as fast, and be as good a user experience with as minimal hand-holding required as the PlayStation for $400, I'll tell you right now, I will give you my PlayStation 5. <laughs> uh, if you can set me up with that for the price that I paid for my PlayStation 5. Um, and if anyone decides to take me up on that, we'll have a serious conversation. I'm not joking. Uh, we'll have a conversation. Uh, if you can give me the exact same experience for the exact same cost, and, and we can trade. Sure, we'll we'll talk about it. Anyhow, uh, now that I've put the gauntlet on the table to all the PC jerks, um, and if you're a Mac user, why are you even talking to me? I don't know. No, we're not we're not even playing the same game. We're we're playing chess, and you're playing Chinese checkers. Just enjoy your game. Enjoy your thing. Um, I'm teasing, mostly, Um, but 
in all seriousness, all all kidding aside, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a great uh, it's a great piece of home entertainment software and hardware. Um, lots of fun. I dove back into Astro's Playroom the past couple of days, and just just a enjoyable time all around. Um, on top of that, been catching up on Star Trek Discovery, getting into the uh, third season where we are now in the future as opposed to the past of the Star Trek universe. Uh-huh. On top of that, the most recent episode of Mandalorian was both wonderful and infuriating. Wonderful in how it played out, infuriating in that it was a cliffhanger. And I have to wait a week or more <laughs> for resolution. Uh, all that to say, right now, it's kind of rough in general terms as far as COVID and restrictions and travel and things like that. Uh, I'm feeling that as well right now. Uh, right now, I'm, I'm ordinarily a relatively low-key person as far as uh, going out and hanging out with people. However, I do love to get out and about. And right now, with COVID being what it is, my getting out and about is kind of limited to walks and to enjoying uh, enjoying nature. And it's, it's kind of limited to that outside of my house. The rest of the time, as far as excursions, it kind of has to be virtually. And with that said, there has not been a better time to have virtual excursions mm-hmm. between video games, movies, television, uh, with our high definition displays and uh, the interactivity of the various forms of media out. It's a wonderful, wonderful time to be an indoor kid. Um, (laughs) That said, uh, if you're an indoor kid like me, make sure you're getting out and getting some fresh air and sunlight. Um, It really does make a difference. For me, I found that it has uh, kept my uh, seasonal depression slash anxiety to a minimum uh, this past year. And so if you if you struggle with any of those things, if, if you're ordinarily someone who mostly stays inside without seeing the sun, just take some time. Get outside. It is yet another one of my favorite things. Just getting out yeah. and enjoying the fresh air. And you never know. You might find a new favorite hobby like hiking or uh, <laughs> golfing or uh like a friend from work, uh, disc golfing. So how about you? What have been your favorite things recently? Well, I've been enjoying you. You got me the Hallmark, um, is it an app or movie channel app? The Hallmark movie channel on Um, Amazon. On Amazon. So I've been watching all the cheesy, girly Christmas movies that Mm -hmm. I love that are so ridiculous, but I don't know. I just, I love them. They take you just to, modern day but yet it's a fantasy land and it's just i don't know that's where you like the star wars stuff and star trek and all that yes you know i and i've been learning to enjoy those with you when i'm in the room mm-hmm. but uh but i've been enjoying just you know you fall asleep and so um a couple nights last week when i had to get up for work the next day i was staying up way too late so i had to not watch them during the week but um i would watch two or three movies <laughs> after you fell asleep uh-huh um so I've, I've really been enjoying enjoying that it's been fun um then uh other things i was enjoying um so uh about a month ago i joined weight watchers uh-huh. and with that as i've been losing weight i've already lost about 10 pounds but 
the thing that's gotten me is through all the different diets I've been trying, um, counting calories or intermittent fasting or whatever, the one thing they have not done is given me energy. Uh huh. Whereas doing Weight Watchers, I'm eating the foods I love, um, but yet I'm losing weight and I've got energy, so I've been able to enjoy the outdoors with you. Okay. For for the record, before you continue, this is not sponsored content. So, no, we, it's not. We are we are not uh, <laughs> we are not paid to to advertise products or services, yeah. at least not yet. Um, <laughs> PlayStation, Weight Watchers, Harry Potter, any of the services that we are uh, enjoying. <laughs> Uh, if you want to sponsor us, just reach out. Yeah. Uh, my email address is uh, mhb2c at hotmail.com. Uh, I will be glad to consider any and all sponsorships uh, that uh, are floated our way. But you yeah. you can continue gushing okay. about Weight Watchers. So anyway, with that, I have, um, I've got this energy that I have not had in years. And I've been able to, like, when you ask me on a, to go on walks, a lot of times, sometimes I'll say, begrudgingly I'll say yes just because I want to go on that walk with you but mm -hmm. it's been a chore for me just to go walk around the walk yeah but I've been able to go on these walks with you and keep up with your pace for the most part I think you're still slowing up a little bit for me but um a little bit but I've been walking in a faster pace mm -hmm. without running out of breath yeah. and I've just you know I've just got the energy and the more I do it the more energy I have so I've just been able to enjoy that and I'm so thankful for my friend who encouraged me to join um kind of it was a challenge she's like if you do it I'll do it and it was a challenge to both of us when she said that because she was hoping I would say no yeah and at first I was going to but I don't know something inside me just said just do it it's a three-month commitment yep but now it's become a thing of after the three months I'm going to continue yep so let's see and one more thing um when you got your PlayStation I don't know if I talked about this before but when you got your PlayStation, you decided to give me an early Christmas gift, uh -huh. which was an Instant Pot. Yes. And um, I think I've used my stove maybe two to three times outside of breakfast. I still make my eggs on the stove, but yes. you know, for dinner, I may, I maybe I've used the stove two or three times, or for that one item that won't go in the Instant Pot. Yeah. Um, but that has been a lifesaver. I've been terrified all these years when I've heard about Instant Pots as they became popular and people kept telling me, you need an Instant Pot, you need an Instant Pot. Once again, not sponsored. I've been terrified of the idea of a pressure cooker. Uh -huh. um, but I'll, lately I've just been like, okay, you know, maybe I should try it and all that. But I was still afraid, even when you got it for me and I was looking over it, there was still some fear about it. But then as I read over the manual and all that stuff and seeing all the safety features and then the first time using it, I'm like, it's not as scary as I thought. Yes. Um, they, they've got all these safety features and all the horror stories I read, I realized they're horror stories because of human error, mm -hmm. um, the way this thing is set up. So As, as most horror stories start. <laughs> That's true. But anyway, so I have been loving that. I make, I make most of our meals, if I can, in that mm -hmm. um, several nights a week. So that's a new favorite thing. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So see let me what... see. Is there anything else that need, we need to cover in this time? <laughs> I don't know. We will have more favorite things to talk about yeah. at a later time. But we're going to take a short break. When we return, we're going to get right into the movie. For those of you who've been hanging on and skipping ahead 30 seconds at a time to see when we're going to get to talking about the movie, it is going to be in just a moment 
after a short break. So, when we get back, we will talk about Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. So we are here to talk about more favorite things besides the movie. I'm kidding. We didn't just bait and switch it. Uh, we're going to talk <laughs> about the movie. So what do you think? We This is actually two movies. What what do you think? Uh, over the past few days, we've watched two final Harry Potter movies wrapping up the franchise, uh, at least in regards to the character of Harry Potter for the time being. And we'll talk more about that a little later. But uh, as far as we're concerned, or as far as we know, for the carry for the carry for the character Harry Potter, he has reached the end of the road. Yeah, I honestly didn't really remember these last few movies. Like the last the last half of the movies, I really had not much memory about. Yeah. These. Um, but now we watched the first one the other day. Do we watch it on Thanksgiving? Has it been that long or was it on Monday? I don't remember. Anyway, but it's been a few days. So so the first part of this is not as fresh in my mind. I'm having a hard time now that we watch the next one. That's the one that I'm thinking and pulling from. Yeah. But this, um, at least this last one, I think it, it might be my favorite. Which is kind of odd, I guess. But... Mm-hmm. Um... Just seeing all the pieces come together mm-hmm. throughout the entire series and being able to put some of the plot points together. I'm like, this one, I think, was my favorite. And it might be just because it closes everything up. Yeah. Um, and it even redeems... Uh, well, it redeems Malfoy. Somewhat. But, um, what's his name? Uh, Neville... Neville Longbottom. Neville Longbottom. Um, I don't know. It. I I don't want to spoil anything for what we're going to talk about, but um, you can you can spoil whatever you want. We're going to spoil yeah, the full. That's true. We're going to spoil both movies. He's the hero of the of the movie. Well, no, he's not. He is. I mean, he is in a roundabout way for a very small part. It's you know. He is. He is more heroic in. The second part of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows than he has been thus far. Right. And he's, um, he was the kid throughout the entire movie series that could not get a spell right, could not get anything right. Every time he tried something, it went wrong. So I would debate you there, but I, I think that it's very easy to remember the first movie or two. Yeah. Where he is very much the comic relief. Yeah. And forget little things like in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, when he's the one who makes sure that Harry can go under the Black Lake for an hour with Gillywig. Or in Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, how he has to overcome his... his own demons of his parents being tortured and killed uh, by the Death Eaters to learn to stand up for himself. Yeah. Or how he is still able to stand out against a lot of other more well-known students in Half-Blood Prince 
leading up to even the first part of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows when they're on the Hogwarts Express and they're looking for Harry Potter and he literally stands up, walks toe-to-toe with the Death Eaters and goes, he isn't here. Yeah, I did forget about those things. Because uh-huh. like, like you said, I remember like the comic relief parts of it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he kind of helped save the day and at the end of this and I yes. don't know. It just kind of, am, am I like that? It kind of made him, in a way, the one of the heroes, which is not something I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not expect it to be him in the end, kind of like that. So but anyway, I really, I really enjoyed it, and, yeah. and you know, but like it was an action-packed movie, and I always thought like the first two or three were my favorite ones. You know, even before doing this podcasting, mm-hmm. I always thought because those were the ones they were fun, they were cute. You know, but once I started hitting dark, you know, it just kind of turns me off a little bit on it. But this one, as I'm watching it, I really, I really enjoyed it. It was really good. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I did not remember it going into there to it. So, yeah. All right. So for this, for this movie, it gave me, it gave me flashbacks to Avengers Endgame. Mm-hmm. In that it was it was a summation of the struggle and the story that had been in the process of being told for 10, 11 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, really over the course of two movies uh, with Harry Potter, whereas Avengers Endgame did it in one. And this... This hit a lot of similar beats. It it filled a lot of similar roles. Uh, returning to sites from the original, uh, getting the band back together, getting everyone at their highest moment, yeah. having some tragedy um, in the midst of it. Um, yeah, it really reminded me of how to end a franchise arc well uh, I don't want to say franchise because as far as the property goes it is known as the wizarding world right. and the wizarding world also extends into and we will not be uh, reviewing at least until the third movie comes out uh, the Fantastic Beasts yeah. uh, films once the Fantastic Beasts films come out we'll we'll do the two leading into the to the latest one yeah. One of the things that I forgot that I thought I remembered about the last two is I remember that Dumbledore died. Uh huh. But I thought that he, I thought I remember that he didn't really die. That by the end he actually came back, but that didn't happen. Nope. He actually really died, and somehow that kind of got me because I was thinking like, oh, I thought it was just, and I don't know, maybe it's because we talked about how the um the original actor died, yes, and they got a new actor, and so maybe somehow in my head. And maybe I'm just getting it mixed up with Lord of the Rings. And yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, it's very easy to, to mistake Dumbledore and Gandalf. Yes. Because as far as depictions, as far as costuming, things like that, they are very similar. Mm-hmm. So much so to the point that when Richard Harris died, uh, Ian McKellen was apparently approached. I don't know if anything official was put on the table in front of him, but he was apparently approached. Yeah. Um, with that said, no, it, 
and one thing I very much respect about the Harry Potter franchise is with a couple of exceptions, when a character dies, they are dead. Yeah. And death really needs to death really needs to matter. Death really needs to have stakes. If it doesn't in a in a property you are never concerned for the well-being of your main characters. Yeah. You're never you're never afraid that they might fail beyond the ability to return. Yeah. And and so it's important that characters be able to die and just be dead. And and that sounds horrible, but if if a if a character dies, and over the course of Harry Potter, we have had several major deaths, um, there is real danger. Um, to the point that I will comment on it a little later as we get into the story, um, but there are some characters that die, and it's tragic, but I almost feel like it would have been a better move for maybe a secondary character closer to Harry to die to f- make it that much more real. Yeah. Uh, but that's me. I, I'm nitpicking right now. Yeah. So we'll, we'll go ahead and we'll dive right in uh, on Deathly Hallows Part 1 without taking a break, just because we've got two movies to cover. Yes. We've got a grand total of about four and a half hours of storytelling to... To get into yes. what I hope is much less than four and a half hours. <laughs> uh, if this is a four and a half hour episode, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, break it up into parts. Um, and uh, just apologize to anyone you're around while you listen to this. Even if you're not bothering them, just apologize to them anyway. <laughs> Uh, all right. So, uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part one, I do full transparency. I do have my tablet in my lap. It is currently closed. I do have, uh, the two films preloaded, uh, with their plot pages up and ready to go if I get lost. Um, so I'm going to do a, a flight at about 20,000 feet, uh, <laughs> over this. Uh, some things I'll get more in depth on some things less. Uh, but we're going to try to hit the plot of these two films, get us to the end, discuss the things we liked, the things we didn't like, and get uh, to the end. So, Deathly Hallows Part 1 is a, uh, it's kind of a road trip heist slash chase movie, and I really enjoy it. Uh, Right off the bat, uh, I absolutely adore the music that Alexander Desplot uh, does for parts one and two. Um, I wish there had been more themes across the two films um, because there are some really strong themes that come about in part two that had they been in place in part one uh, to kind of precede uh, the film, I think it could have been stronger. Uh, as is, uh, really good movies. Uh, part one was released in November of 2011. Part two uh, in July of 2012. And again, really love these movies. Part one begins with the new Minister of Magic. You'll remember that Cornelius Fudge uh, resigned in disgrace at the end of uh, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. And it is none other than Bill Nye, Davy Jones himself. Uh, and he just chews every scene he's in. 
but he starts out with the opening narration that these are dark times and just that deep Bill Nye voice and it sets a tone as we start hopping between the main characters in their I don't know that it's a calm before the storm but the storm clouds have a have arisen and the storm is about to start we see Hermione at home with her parents uh, looking very sad and she uses a charm on them to effectively erase her and any evidence of her from their home uh, and their memory and uh, I was listening to a podcast not long ago where someone explained hey this would be kind of messed up if the bad guy still ended up finding them and tortured them and they had no idea why they were being tortured yeah um we go over to harry uh his aunt and uncle are leaving so is dudley um it's important to note that there are a lot of deleted scenes between these two films there's one uh where dudley actually makes things right with harry and apologizes for being an absolute bag of garbage to him over the many many years um wonder why that was deleted. I think it was deleted just for runtime. Uh, I think that would have been an important, nice touch to it. I think it would have dragged on the opening a bit. I, I see it. I, I understand the upside of it, but I also understand how it would have detracted from the runtime. Again, this is a book. This is a rather lengthy book that was adapted into four and a half hours worth of movie. Yeah. You could have easily turned this book or any of the others each into a 10 to 13 episode season of a TV series. Yeah. But they did not do that. Um, so Harry's at home. He is in what would be his seventh year at Hogwarts. But as stated in Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, he's not going to school. Uh, he's going to operate like a good old high school dropout. Uh, except that's not really how things work in the Wizarding World. We talked about this a little bit at the end of uh, the second movie. Uh, so in the Wizarding World, Hogwarts years one through six are kind of the necessary years to be able to go out into the workforce with something of an education. After that, uh, really, you you can make a living. You're just probably not going to get the high-paying white collar job uh going to year uh seven uh gets you in a place where you get into more specialized training and you're more likely to get a job uh or apprenticeship uh in something like being an R or something like that so uh it's not necessary for harry or ron or hermione to go to seventh year of hogwarts um but they're gonna they're gonna have to work really hard uh yeah not going so uh in case anyone forgot the reason they are not going is because they know that Voldemort's ho is, and i'm going to stumble over that word many many times because it's an awkward <laughs> word as many words in the harry potter world are uh pieces of voldemort's voldemort's soul that have been strapped to various objects um nigh indestructible uh they're hunting all of these down in order that Voldemort might be vulnerable and killed. So, uh, beginning of the film, rumors are going around. It's very tense. Uh, we see Snape go into a gated home. 
goes inside and it's just uh, the biggest band in air to wells uh we've got helena bonham carter as bellatrix lestrange we've got uh the malfoys looking kind of the worst for wear uh we've got wormtail uh who i will note between this film and the next one just disappears um, in the book, he's murdered uh, because he helps Harry. But uh, between this film and the next film, he just disappears. Yeah. Um, I didn't think about that. I didn't even think about it. I didn't realize it. Yes. Uh, yeah. So Snape goes in, uh, tells everybody, hey, they're moving Harry. Uh, it's going to be uh, like the day after his 17th birthday. And one of the ratty... Ministry of Magic, just scumbags that uh, Voldemort's brought in is like, hey, I heard it's the day before his 17th birthday. And they argue a little bit over that. Uh, come to find out that hanging in the middle of the air, suspended, is the former Muggle Studies professor from Hogwarts, who Voldemort has apparently been torturing. Voldemort kills her and feeds her to Nagini. And then we zap over to Harry's house where he is patiently waiting. His friends come in and we find out, yes, indeed, they're going to try to move Harry before his 17th birthday. They cast a spell on him to enable him to practice magic outside of Hogwarts. And all of a sudden the plan is enacted. Uh, several of Harry's friends are going to be transformed via Polyjuice into Harry. Everyone's gonna dress identically and they're all going to split and run in different directions, rendezvousing at a common point later in the evening. And right off the bat, we get a little comic relief as uh, Daniel Radcliffe has to act like several people uh, that are not Harry Potter pretending to be Harry Potter. Yes. Uh, one of my favorite lines is Fleur Delacour, who is now married to one of Ron's many, many brothers, says... Look away, I'm hideous. Uh, which is just fantastic. Uh, so we get a chase scene at this point. Everyone's flying or riding away. Uh, Harry is with Hagrid. Again, as I mentioned with Avengers Endgame, this has a lot of callbacks to earlier in the franchise. When Harry was delivered to his aunt and uncles, it was by Hagrid in this flying motorcycle. And so we get a chase scene, and as they get into the sky, it is just an epic battle between Death Eaters and the Order of the Phoenix. Just chaos everywhere, just magic flying, killing spells being thrown. And into all of this flies Hedwig to protect Harry, and Hedwig is killed. Just no, no fanfare whatsoever. Just boom, dead. And... Right off the bat, you know this movie is going to have stakes. Yeah. Because Harry's best friend and pet is just murdered uh, in the opening bits of this movie. Opening 10 minutes, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Um, and Harry flies away. He duels uh, Voldemort subconsciously. Um, the movie never really talks about it, but Harry's wand moves to protect him and he duels Voldemort and eventually escapes. Uh, they get over to the Weasleys, which is the safe house. 
when the others arrive, there's kind of a Reservoir Dogs style standoff where they're uh, accusing each other of maybe not being who they say they are. Uh, questions are asked like, what were the last words I said to you? What was in my office? What were... And just making sure everyone is who they say they are. Yeah. We find out that Mad-Eye Moody in the shuffle was killed when Mundungus Fletcher, uh, who plays a role in this part of the film, but not the next one, uh, just split right off the bat and uh, gave him away. Moody uh, was killed, and the body count already for major characters lies at two, and before the movie is out, it will be more. Yeah. Uh, so... For the time being, they are at the Weasley house, which is being protected by charms. Uh, it is the impending uh, wedding of Fleur, and I believe it's Charlie, uh, played by Dom Hall Gleason of Star Wars sequel trilogy fame. He played General Hux, uh, who is just a fantastic character for two movies, and then just poops the bed and rises okay. Skywalker. But a uh, fantastic actor, nonetheless, uh, even if they did him dirty in the last movie. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we're at the Weasley household and Harry and Jenny have a couple of what are supposed to be tender moments. But as I noted before, and we'll say again, Bonnie Wright and Daniel Radcliffe have absolutely no chemistry, none yeah. whatsoever. She could be playing his sister, and it would be slightly less creepy. Um, <laughs> so this this scene goes on, and this is the first breath you really get to take in the movie, uh, where it's kind of all right. They know where we are. We know where we are. At least for the moment, we're safe. We're going to enjoy a moment of celebration before things go bad. And as the wedding preparations are going on, uh, they set up a massive wedding, by the way, at their house. Like, we're talking like a 300-person wedding, and this is the middle of what's effectively going to be a war. Yeah. And we're having a, we're just going to have a grand old shindig. One thing I've noticed in the Harry Potter world, they have some of the same magic that Doctor Who has with the TARDIS. And a lot of the same actors. Yeah, and a lot of the same actors, like... They do take small spaces, and you go inside, and it's huge. It's yes, and like Hermione's bag, and yeah. Anyway. We'll get to that shortly. I know. I'm just, I'm just saying. It's one it's thing I right. noticed. But for the wedding, no this this is a really neat sequence of events because these quiet times over the first movie and parts of the second movie have to do a lot of heavy lifting uh, because any and all subplots that were in the books in previous years of Harry's life, but were left out of the movies have to be picked up and they have to be explained to where the audience will get it as we finish out the franchise. And for me, there are other people who would disagree for me. The exposition is handled in just the right amount of tell and show over this movie and the next to kind of get me from point A to point B to point C yeah. on what's happening. Uh, we get exposition on, hey, uh, these objects were left for you. Uh, we find out that Harry's been holding onto a piece of mirror. 
that uh, he sees someone in. It's the other piece is somewhere else, but we're not sure what. We'll be filled in a little bit on that in the next movie. Uh, a lot of a lot of this is laid before us. Uh, the current Minister of Magic comes and uh, lays at Harry and Hermione and Ron's feet uh, the Deluminator, uh, Harry's original Golden Snitch that he caught in his first Quidditch match, uh, and the Tales of Beetle the Bard. And uh, we also learned that the Sword of Godric Gryffindor was left by Dumbledore to Harry, and the Minister Magic's like, hey, um, just FYI, that's kind of a national treasure and not really his to donate, <laughs> uh, even if we could find it. So just letting you know, if it turns up, it's not yours. Uh, and so... Hermione shut him down real quick on that one. Well, Hermione tries to shut him down, but Hermione's wrong. Because, <laughs> I'll, I'll put it this way, it's, it's like if... It's like if the Declaration of Independence, the real one, and I'm using air quotes right now, you can't see that, but I'm telling you, I'm using quotes around the, the real one, uh, showed up in my in my attic. It's not mine. Yeah. Uh, but it, I, I can have some claim on, hey, I'd, I'd like a finder's feet, but... I think there'd be a lot of questions on Miss Ultima. <laughs> I think there'd be a lot of questions <laughs> all around. There? But... If something like that shows up, it it doesn't belong to me. Yeah. So, I I don't care what you finders keepers creep say. Uh, possession isn't nine tenths of the law. There's some stuff that it is more than personal possession. So stop being a jerk. Yeah. Anyhow, moving on. Uh, Sorry for derailing the podcast. Yeah. I've done a good enough job of that already. Yeah. Um. So, all of this gets filled in. We're getting set up. A lot, a lot of setup. Uh, we're learning that preparations are underway. Things are tense. In the previous scene with Voldemort and his band of ne'er-do-wells, uh, we find out that uh, he has effectively established someone who will be a puppet minister when established in the Ministry of Magic. And... There is a tension in the scene with Bill Nye when he's talking with Harry, Ron, and Hermione of he knows that he is on the knife's edge of something dangerous. Mm -hmm. And what's going to happen with him? What's going to happen with the wedding? What's going to happen with any of these people? We will find out when we come back from a short break. All right, so we get to the wedding. We get to a massive reception as Harry's wandering around looking kind of clueless for being at uh, the wedding of his best friend's brother. Uh, he starts hearing people talking gossip, and there are older people talking gossip. And, you know, Harry hasn't learned yet that you just ignore older people talking gossip because, <laughs> well, they're older people talking gossip. Yeah. And, uh, Except this particular gossip is about Dumbledore and the new tell-all book written by Rita Skeeter uh, that listeners may remember from Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, where she was kind of just a terrible paparazzi 
is it paparazzi? Paparazzi? Uh, I don't know what the term is. Anyhow, I have no idea. this particular uh, gossip reporter uh, wrote a tell-all book about Dumbledore, in which it is revealed that he was not the wise and good sage that he claimed to be. Um, and we'll talk more about that later, in fact. But... For right now, there's a, a book that's going around. We learned that Mathilda Bagshot uh, gave a rare interview to uh, Rita Skeeter that has made its way into this book. Uh, we find out that Dumbledore lived back in Godric's Hollow, which is the same place where Harry's parents lived before they were executed by you-know-who. So... Uh, Harry is just sitting there spinning with exposition, as is the audience, uh, when all of a sudden out of the sky comes a blue dart that hits and we start hearing the report from one of the ministry plants from the Order of the Phoenix. The ministry has fallen. The minister of magic is dead. They're coming. They're coming. And it fades out and everybody just starts running and disapparating and then all of a sudden death eaters show up and start setting fire to everything and before they can be attacked harry ron and hermione jet uh and they jet right into the center of london where ironically be being dressed for a wedding they look like they'd fit right in but they need to change <laughs> for some reason yeah so they duck into a coffee shop uh where they get changed and missed opportunity right here could have been the same coffee shop with the same waitress from the last movie yeah i was trying to think of that i was like why not uh i don't know uh but uh it isn't and it wasn't uh but as they order cappuccino a couple of guys come in uh in handyman outfits except they've got magic wands on their belts and right when harry sees this uh, we get into a big magic wand uh, fight, which looks a lot like a gunfight. Uh, and then they uh, they eventually knock these guys out, and they decide that the punishment for these guys is they are going to wipe their memories. And the debate happens for approximately 30 seconds of should we kill these guys. Uh, no, we're just going to erase their memories so that they don't know how to use a bathroom uh, or put on clothes or do anything on their own, which might be worse than death. Yeah. Um, so we find out uh, that uh, one of the things that they are hunting uh, is at the Ministry of Magic. We find this out from Creature the House Elf and from Mundungus Fletcher. Uh, we find out that the locket that they were hunting in Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince uh, that turned out to be a decoy uh, was actually found by Regulus Black. Uh, Regulus Black's uh, locket was apparently taken to the Ministry of Magic uh, by none other than Dolores Umbridge, the Queen Elizabeth II lookalike uh, who is just terrible and just awful, awful, uh, evil covered in sugar. <laughs> and so 
Harry, Ron, and Hermione knock out three people who work at the ministry, sneak in using Polyjuice Potion. Um, uh, if you hear weird noises in the background, we've got a cat that apparently got into the sugar and is now just bouncing off of things like a pin-pong ball. She's usually our calmest cat, and she's just running around. Yeah, just... She gets the cooler weather. Out of her ever-loving mind. Anyhow, uh, we get a really fun, tense uh, few scenes where the three of them are in disguise. Uh, these three actors, who I don't know their names, they do a spectacular job of pretending to be Daniel Radcliffe. Uh, uh, I'm Rupert Grant and Emma Watson. <laughs> I remembered all three of them. A lot of actors, a lot of names. The fact that I don't forget more is impressive to me. Uh because I forget a lot of things. Uh, ultimately, they end up finding uh, Dolores Umbridge sitting in an inquisition uh, where, ironically, the wife of one of the people being impersonated by Ron uh, is being questioned. And hovering above uh, the courtroom are the Dementors being kept at bay by Umbridge's uh, Patronus. Do you remember what it was? Is it a rabbit? It was a kitten. A kitten. After all the kitten plates that she had right, right, right. all around oh, her I office. I forgot about that. Yes. Okay. Um, but as soon as they knock her out and steal the necklace, uh, the barrier holding all of the Dementors at bay snaps. They all come down. We get a chase scene through the Ministry. Uh, magic flying everywhere. Uh, and as they attempt to escape out of the flu network, uh, bad guy grabs Ron and they get scrambled up in process and when they come out Ron's arm has been torn open and uh, gruesome. and kind of painful uh, and so Harry, Ron and Hermione are on the run as Ron's recovering uh, we find out that every magic spell that they try to use on this Hocrux, this locket it does not work um and the longer they carry it, trying to trying to figure out what to do with it, the more impatient or testy or just downright mean they become. Uh, this continues on until Harry, Ron, and Hermione all have a fight. Ron leaves. Uh, Harry and Hermione continue on, sad that they've had their friend leave them. Uh, Harry and Hermione at Christmas time go to Godric's Hollow, uh, where they decide to pursue the lead of Bethilda Bagshot. It's at this time that Harry visits his parents' grave, uh, which is kind of a sad way to, uh, you know, celebrate Christmas. But yeah. I gotta be honest, Harry just seems like kind of a melancholy dude. Uh, yeah. He sees Bethilda Bagshot, who is easily the creepiest looking old lady that I've seen in the past two weeks. And uh, there are creepier old ladies out there, guys. Watch out. You see it. <laughs> you see an old lady walking towards you and she she puts a finger over her lips and looks at you wide eyed. Run the other way. <laughs> I don't care how sweet she is. If she looks at you wide eyed, she's about to start something. Run. <laughs> but... Could be your grandma, could be your mom. Just run. Anyone looks at you wide-eyed and puts a finger over your, their lips, run. 
they go over to Bethilda's house, and it's at this point we find out that uh, this woman has been murdered, and her skin stretched out over Voldemort's snake. It is wearing her skin like a skin suit, uh, which is just terrifying. Yes. Uh, we get a good fight with uh, Nagini, the Voldemort snake, uh, before uh, Harry and Hermione disapparate and go on the run. Uh, as they're on their own, uh, Harry sees a fawn, uh, Patronus, uh, that leads him out to a frozen lake where, where Harry goes after, uh, the sword of Gryffindor, which is under the water. Yeah. So as he goes after it, he starts getting dragged under only to be rescued by the returning Ron. I'm trying to remember, what was dragging him under? The necklace. Right, because they didn't want to be near it. Yes, because right. the totally original subject of a an, an object worn around the neck that corrupts the will of its user uh, and will weigh them down or betray them, right. totally original, J.K. Rowling didn't have any ideas from any other popular fantasy <laughs> things. Uh, like, I don't know, a ring or anything, or a lord thereof, or anything like that. <laughs> uh, totally original thought, never been done before, never done again. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> I love sarcasm. Uh, uh, but Ron returns, saves the day, and makes good with uh, Harry. Harry uh, has Ron destroy the. Uh, the locket. I'm a set ring. <laughs> there, there actually was a ring that was destroyed by Dumbledore in Half Blood Prince. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, Ron is mocked by a specter of Voldemort that comes from the locket, takes on the form of kind of a hybrid Voldemort, Harry, Voldemort, Hermione, uh, who are really into each other. Uh, yeah. And then Ron just smashes the locket. Another hook rooks down. Uh, so for the record, at this point, uh, we have seen three Horcruxes that have all been destroyed. We have seen the Diary of Tom Riddle, also known as Voldemort, uh, destroyed in Chamber of Secrets. We have seen the ring destroyed by uh, Dumbledore, and we have now seen the locket. So three down, and we are approaching the end of the first movie. So, uh, Harry, Ron, and Hermione are all reunited. Uh, they're all glad to see each other. And as they are in the woods, they are discovered. They discover that the lead to the next Horcrux might be the Deathly Hallows. Uh, a symbol that keeps popping up wherever they go is a triangle with a circle with a line down the center. The symbol of the Deathly Hallows. Uh, and as they go to visit Luna Lovegood's father, who was wearing the symbol around his neck at the wedding of Fleur and Charlie. I'm going to say Charlie, even though that's the wrong name. Uh, <laughs> well, Dan. Dan was the the brother. Bill. Bill! It was, was Bill. Bill. It was Bill. <laughs> Guys. You throwing names out there until like, oh, this is the right one. I guarantee you all of those names are names of siblings of of the Weasleys. <laughs> yes. There are 28 of them. 
the the Weasleys are a good Irish Catholic family, and they do not believe in birth control, but they love each other very much. They love each other like rabbits. So wherever Dan Weasley is out there, he's probably off, you know, smiting uh, Jabberwockies or something. Bill, Bill and Flora's wedding. Uh, all the, all of the J.K. Rowling fans out there are just, just mad at me right now, just <laughs> screaming at their headphones. Bill and Fleur's wedding. Uh, Luna Lovegood's father uh, played uh, very well by Reese Yvonne. Uh You may know him as the Kicker from the Replacements or as the Lizard from the Amazing Spider-Man in 2012. Uh, they go to visit him. And he tells them the story of the Deathly Hallows. It's a story of three brothers, uh, all of whom uh, foiled death in his plan to uh, drown anyone who tried to cross this body of water um, when they used magic to make a bridge. And so in a devious plan, he gave each of them a wish, knowing full well that their wishes would probably lead to their doom. Uh, the first brother wished for a wand that would make him the most powerful wizard. And when he wished for this wand, he killed a wizard in a duel and then was killed that night. And the wand just traveled from owner to owner, always bringing death to the person who owned it. Uh, the, ne the next brother was claimed by death when he, uh, when he wished back his long lost love who, when she came back, was driven mad, killed herself, and he followed her to the grave into death's waiting clutches. The third brother had wished for an invisibility cloak so that death would never be able to find him. And he lived a long, long life, and it was only when, in his old age, he had evaded death long enough that he passed the cloak on to his child and then went off with death as good friends. And this is the story of the Deathly Hallows. Uh, we find out that all of these objects are objects that existed possibly in the world of Deathly Hallows. And we learned that one of these objects, the Elder One, was in the possession of our dearly departed Dumbledore. And come to find out, Lord V is looking for it. Yeah. Uh, we have been seeing visions throughout the film of him questioning people uh, at the beginning of Harry Potter, Harry brother. Uh, yeah, my Harry brother, we're going to watch his child tonight. Harry <laughs> Potter uh, uh, has been seeing visions of Voldemort questioning uh, people at the beginning of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Uh, we, we saw the... Uh, and I'm blanking on the name of it. Too many names. Uh, <laughs> uh, we saw the wand shop get taken down, uh, and we saw the owner get taken out with a bag over his head. Uh, and throughout this movie, we see him interrogated several times. Uh, so we find out at this point uh, that this is what Lord Voldemort is after. Uh Luna's dad is acting kind of strange, and so the kids go and question him. Come to find out, he has been uh, he has been stalling to wait for the Death Eaters to arrive uh, to get Harry, Ron, and Hermione because his daughter has been taken, and he has been told that he will get her back safely if these kids are captured. So 
uh, Harry, Ron, and Hermione make a run for it. They are chased, and all of all three of them are captured, but not before Hermione, quickly thinking on her feet, deforms Harry's face so he's not easily recognizable. They are taken to Bellatrix's uh, torture chamber, uh, where uh, Draco Malfoy, there are too many names, too many characters, uh, is waiting to confirm that this is indeed Harry Potter. Uh, he doesn't, though. He doesn't say that it is for sure Harry. And so Harry and Ron are sent off uh, to be in prison while Hermione is tortured by Bellatrix. And it is terrifying. She yeah. screams, and it is such good acting. It just, it, it is, cringe. it is off-putting. Yeah, it's very. Uh... While all of this happens, eventually, Harry and Ron escape uh, to attempt to save Hermione. Dobby helps them get out. Uh, they get out. They're able to spring everything. Uh, Dobby attempts to drop a. Uh, chandelier on Bellatrix gets everyone out they disapparate but not before Bellatrix throws a knife everyone gets out but Dobby is mortally wounded yes and yet another character bites the dust that was so sad I cried um, I liked Dobby before they move on Harry Ron and Hermione bury him knowing that they can't do anything else for this noble house elf. Yes. As we mourn the loss of Dobby, we go over to the grave of Albus Dumbledore, only for it to get blown open by the Dark Lord Voldemort, and for him to take the Elder Wand, cast it into the night sky in victory. And thus ends Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1. When we return... We will find out what happens to the Elder One. What happens to Harry Potter? Does the chemistry between anybody get any better? We'll find all that out and more when we talk about Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 in just a bit. And we're back and ready to talk about Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. So, when we left our heroes at the end of Part 1, they had buried their friend Dobby. Uh, they had escaped Bellatrix Lestrange. Uh, they had basically broken out of an enemy stronghold, but now they're on the run. Uh, so, in the process of breaking out, they saved Ollivander and uh, Griphook uh, the Goblin. So now they're recuperating, gathering their strength. Uh, and as they're recuperating, Harry goes to Ollivander and asks him some questions about the Elder Wand, uh, asks Griphook some questions about Gringotts, finds out uh, whose wand belongs to who, comes to find out uh, from Ollivander that the very wand that he possesses used to belong to Draco Malfoy. And he says, well, why do you mean used to? And he goes, well, it's taken a liking to you. <laughs> uh, and as was stated at the very beginning of this franchise, 
the wand chooses the master, not the other way around. Which is a theme that will continue throughout this movie. Yes. But I mean, if you remember in the first episode when he's picking the wand, you know, different wands he would choose, it would just blow up in his face, basically. Yes. Until he found the right one, and that Mm -hmm. was it. So, uh, it is decided at this point that they're going to go to Gringotts because apparently a fake sort of Gryffindor has been placed at the vault at Gringotts by Snape. People are questioning uh, all kinds of stuff that's going on with this. So, on the condition that he gets to keep the sort of Gryffindor when they're done, uh, Griphook takes our heroes to Gringotts Bank uh, in order to retrieve Bellatrix's valuables in the vault. Uh, The idea being that if she had one thing that might have destroyed Horcruxes, she might have actually had one in her vault. Yeah. Uh, So Hermione gets the bright idea to take a hair from Bellatrix and use it in Polyjuice Potion uh, to go to the bank. What we get as viewers is some fantastic acting by Helena Bonham Carter playing Emma Watson playing Hermione Granger. Yes. And there is, it is a fantastic performance because you get the subtleties of a character not being comfortable in their own skin, walking in shoes that they're not used to walking in. Uh, brilliant. Not being comfortable in, in their own clothes. It It's great. Uh, but they go to uh, Gringotts. They're able to get all the way back into the vault. When they go through a waterfall, it washes away all of their enchantments that were disguising them. And they have to get in at this time. And I have to take a brief break for a phone call. Alright, sorry about that guys. There are approximately five people in this world that I will take a phone call from no matter what, and that was one of them. (laughs) Back to the movie. Alright, so we are in Gringotts Bank. The deception, the magical deception uh, that our heroes had put on has been uh, thwarted via some traps put in place by the goblins at Gringotts. Uh, All of our heroes are dumped into the vault of Bellatrix Lestrange where they face off against a dragon. Uh, Grimhook uh, shows this kind of bell ringer device that uh, tortures the poor thing because it's been taught to expect pain when the sound happens. Uh, and this dragon is just, just abused. You can tell that it has never seen kindness. Uh, they go into Bellatrix's vault. It made me very sad, honestly. Yeah, I mean, animal cruelty sucks, and if you abuse an animal or any other of God's creatures, then you're a piece of garbage, and you need to stop. Um, If you you don't treat uh, God's creatures uh, with dignity and respect, uh, especially as image bearers, then you uh, are terrible and awful. Uh, Anyhow, moving on, on. off my soapbox... um, 
inside the vault. Uh, the heroes are looking for the Hookrux. Fortunately, Harry can hear them. Uh, as they're hunting for it, they find out that anything they touch will duplicate and duplicate and duplicate, so long as it gets touched. Uh, eventually, they're able to get a hold of it. Uh, Griphook steals the sword of Gryffindor uh, uh, in exchange for the Hookrux. Uh, runs out of the building. Our heroes eventually get back out only to find out that they've been cornered by vault security. Uh, old Griphook has made off with the sword and has made his getaway. Uh, our heroes escape on the back of the dragon, uh, but they have the Hookrux at the very least. They decide that uh, the best idea is for them to uh, regroup and head back to Hogwarts. Sorry, I'm watching one of our cats try to eat a table chair, and <laughs> it's impressive. It would be more impressive if she, if she succeeded, but I think she's teething. It's bigger than her mouth. Yes. Uh, the part she was trying to eat was bigger yeah. than her mouth. I think she's bored, because I don't know. I'm trying to out why else, because she's too old to be teething. I can understand eating out of boredom. I don't understand trying to eat furniture out of boredom. <laughs> That's a level of boredom I don't understand. Like I would, I would do a few <laughs> things before I got to yeah. eat furniture boredom. Anyhow, yeah. back to this movie. <laughs> uh, our heroes are going to, uh, our heroes are going to try to destroy uh, all of these Hocruxes, uh, utilizing something at Hogwarts. Hogwarts is where they started. It's where they think that they can take care of this. So our heroes. Uh, sneak back into Hogsmeade to get back to Hogwarts. An alarm goes off. Uh, they're ushered into the house of Aberforth? Aberforth Dumbledore. Uh, Albus Dumbledore's brother uh, and the owner of the mirror that Harry has been seeing flashes of imagery from. Come to find out uh, Aberforth had a great deal of issue with Albus uh, due to the death of their sister. He says... Uh, you trust my brother, my sister, my sister trusted my brother, and he used that just like he's using you all to get the power that ended up getting him killed. And it's a very interesting look at the dynamics of family um, and the the histories that we carry with us and the pain that can that can cause us long term hurt. Um, it's played very well by Sierran Hines is the actor who is buried under makeup. You can barely recognize him, um, but he is a phenomenal actor in the least. He's phenomenal in the film uh, Munich uh, with Eric Bana from 2005, directed by Steven Spielberg. He is also fantastic, and he has a two-season arc uh, in Game of Thrones that he is just phenomenal in. But just great in this role, uh, but he has a secret passageway to Hogwarts in the back of his house. Uh, come to find out uh, when you're uh, your hero of the film. Yeah. Uh, Neville Longbottom. Neville Longbottom uh, shows up. Uh, he ushers Harry and friends into the castle. So it's important to note at this point when Harry 
Ron and Hermione get to Hogwarts. We are approximately 30 to 40 minutes into this film. A lot has already happened. Right. There is still an hour and 40 minutes left in this film when they get to Hogwarts. In the book, this is the back half of the book. This is the falling action. We are about to get an hour and a half worth of climax. <laughs> so I am already running on, on fumes at this point. Right. I understand why they split this story into two films. That said, this film kicked off a habit of major studios of splitting the final book in a series into two parts. And there's some things I like about it. I like, excuse me, I like the ability for a story to breathe. I absolutely detest the way it was used in films like The Hobbit right. to split a single book into three movies. Right, and it was a small book. It was a much smaller book. Uh, I I hate how some franchises will never get a proper ending uh, in the film front because they decided to split the final uh, book into two parts. And the final film that was made bombed and it wasn't the final part of the book right uh i'm talking about the uh oh shoot shalane woody uh miles teller it's the one where she can be anything um it's not inception that's leonardo dicaprio by christopher nolan the last movie i think was allegiant anyhow Oh, the Defiant... Is it Defiance? It's not Defiance, but... It's something along those lines. Anyway, it's... It's the one I liked, right? You liked the first one. Yeah. The first one. I'll tell yeah, you I guys... I I know what you're talking about. Okay. I'll tell you guys right now. Uh, don't... Don't do this. Okay? Uh, just don't. <laughs> better, better that you tell the whole story or none of the story. Uh, the only way you can split a movie into two parts is if you do what... Harry Potter did, Back to the Future did, The Matrix did, Pirates of the Caribbean did. Film your your final parts of your story simultaneously. For one thing, you keep all of your actors on the hook. For another thing, uh, you're able to tell the complete story without fear of uh, one of the movies poop in the bed and not being able to make your next part. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, just don't do that. Anyhow, meanwhile at Hogwarts, Harry gets in and uh, he's reunited with Jenny. And once again, no chemistry whatsoever. Um, right. And it's not the actor's fault. I, I blame casting. Um, they, they changed a woman of color over to a white girl for unknown reasons. Whatever their reasons were, they did it. Uh, so they could have easily recast Jenny, but they did not. Right. Um, and Bonnie Wright is phenomenal actress. She's great in this movie, not with Harry. Right. Um, and they are supposed to be madly in love with each other. Yeah, it does, you just don't feel that at all. It does not play. Anyhow, maybe they're supposed to hate each other. That could play. Uh, we get into the castle, and very quickly, Harry... Harry lets himself be seen. I don't want to say exposes himself because that has sexual connotations that just, 
in the modern era, saying you exposed yourself is just not a phrase you want to use. So he reveals himself, yeah, he still has connotation. He lets himself be he's, seen. He steps out when they're, they're being threatened if nobody yes. feels very. Snape calls all the students into yeah. the Great Hall that is now barren of tables. It is very cold, lifeless, no light in the room. Uh, says, if Harry is not brought forth or if you don't reveal what you know, you are going to be uh, punished as a collaborator. Harry steps forward and says, how dare you stand where he stood? How dare you take his office? And everyone clears the floor. It looks like it's going to be a face-off between Snape and Harry, but no! Minerva McGonagall comes out and just kicks his magical ass. We just got an explicit tag. All right. <laughs> and uh, just wipes the floor with Snape. Snape has to run. She takes down the two Death Eaters behind him. And everyone cheers. She sends the flames back. And all the lights are back on in the Great Hall. Life and love have come back to the Great Hall. Everybody... Minerva McGonagall is in the house. <laughs> and we just get the first just stand up and cheer moment of the movie. Yeah. And this is a bright spot. Uh, most of Deathly Hallows Part 1 was kind of uh, dreary and a slog. The color starts to return at this moment. But it is very quickly choked out because outside Voldemort puts a curse that allows everyone to hear his voice in their heads saying, all right, I'm here. I know he's inside. If he isn't brought out to me, you're all going to die. Mm -hmm. And at this point, the action begins. McGonagall goes to Harry and goes, hey, what do you need? And he says, I need time. I need as much time as you can give me. She goes, all right, I'll do what I can. Hey, and by the way, it's good to see you. And uh, you brought up while we were watching it, it was a good choice that she didn't say, be careful or be yeah. safe. Yeah, she didn't say, I was expecting her to say that, like, be careful or be safe. Mm -hmm. But instead she just said, it's good to see you. And I'm like, there's something in that, you know, I don't know, just, it's a danger zone. There's no w real way to be safe. She knew that he couldn't be safe. Yeah. So yeah. there's, there is a, there is a warmth, there is a care, there is a tenderness in this moment where you've, you've alluded to feeling that and seeing that when she's on screen. This is the moment where I see it and yeah. I feel it in the moment. Hey, don't do it. She's about to jump up on the counter. Oh. Hey, kitty, kitty, kitty. Um, but seeing her interact with Harry in this way, it it makes her character just more fleshed out in, in a in a very real way in this film. Uh, and establishes just feeling. At this point, we get a lot of preparation. Harry's trying to figure out, he knows that somewhere, uh, Betsy's gonna have to get up to go take care of a cat trying to get into something on the counter. While the other uh, cat's on my lap. All right, yep. I got her. Yeah, maybe don't kiss on the microphone. She's down. <laughs> She's on the microphone. Um, okay. But Harry is fleeing around campus trying to figure out, okay, somewhere in the Great Hall is something belong belonging to House Ravenclaw 
that is one of the Horcruxes. Uh, also, Ron and Hermione have had the brilliant idea uh, that, hey, what destroyed one of the Horcruxes? A uh, basilisk fang. Let's go down to the Chamber of Secrets and grab a basilisk fang. And so uh, they go after a basilisk fang to destroy the cup from uh, the vault at Gringotts. We find out shortly before this that Voldemort has killed absolutely everyone inside of Gringotts uh, for letting go of the Horcrux. If I'm mispronouncing any and all of this, blame J.K. Rowling for not writing easy to pronounce names. <laughs> uh, so, uh, at this point, it is like every good epic war movie you've ever seen. The good guys are inside, they're preparing. Uh, Professor McGonagall. I don't. I don't even know which cats fight and which. We got all three like playing with These each other. These two are playing. They're not even fighting, and I think it's okay. adorable. Uh, they fight more than they play, so I like watching them play. Uh, anyway, Professor McGonagall uh, casts a spell where the stone soldiers around Hogwarts Castle jump down and take up defensive pos positions, saying that she's always wanted to cast that spell. Um, and like she, a little kid at Christmas with a toy they've always wanted. Yeah, but <laughs> but she it. gives this great speech of Hogwarts has always been here for you. Uh, we need you to defend her now. Mm -hmm. And all of our heroes go about preparing the defenses around Hogwarts. A mag magic shield is put up around the school. Um, and at this point, everyone waits. And it's this long breath before the shout. And there's a great scene between Fred and George Weasley where they're on the ramparts of Hogwarts. And I'm not sure if it's Fred or George off the top of my head, but one of the brothers is visibly shaken because they're staring out and they see the overwhelming odds mm -hmm. and they know they're going to die. Yeah. And, and they try to have some levity, but they can't. And it's a very real moment in this as these are Fred and George are just out of schooling age, but they're, they're still kids. Yeah. I, I am 35 years old and I still think of myself as a kid. Mm -hmm. And when you're facing death, whether you are, whether you are 15, 35 or 75, you're not ready because we, we always think of the moment we're in as the moment that's going to be here. Right. But when you're face to face with death, you know that the moment you're in is about to end, whether you end with it or not. Yeah. And, and all of these children and the professors, but these children have to face this. Yeah. So all of, all of the children, the order of the Phoenix has come alongside them. They've, they've gotten into the castle, uh, to help Harry and his band. They've all prepared the defenses. Voldemort has made his threat. And then it happens. The Death Eaters and all of Voldemort's forces cast an attack on the castle, trying to bring down the shield. Uh, McGonagall has sent uh, Longbottom and uh, Seamus Finnegan over to uh, destroy the bridge leading into the castle. Uh, 
we get several, several fights. I'm not going to recap them all because me describing action is not as much fun as watching it. Watch the movie. It is fantastic. One of the best fantasy series of battles that you will see in film. Great, great depiction over this movie and the previous movie. Um, but the action keeps falling until uh, Hermione and Ron are able to destroy uh, the Hocrux uh, with the Basilisk Fang uh, on Luna Lovegood's uh, recommendation. Harry seeks out Helena Rav Ravenclaw, played by Kelly MacDonald, um, to let her know, uh, to find out from her the, uh, the location of the Diadem of Ravenclaw, which is apparently one of the Hocruxes come to find out from Helena Helena, Re, ugh, Helena Ravenclaw say that <laughs> ten times fast uh, doesn't want anyone getting to it because the last person who got to it was the young boy who lied mm -hmm. and Harry calls him by name Tom Riddle and we find out that he said that he would destroy it but he didn't uh, come to find out this particular object was, had some sort of a curse on it uh, and the Ravenclaws wanted it destroyed, but instead Tom Riddle bound himself to it as he became Lord Voldemort. Uh, now they're fighting. Yep. Um, so Harry eventually is able to get the location. Come to find out it is in the room of requirement. Harry goes to retrieve this uh, while Hermione and Ron try to meet up with him, uh, they all get into the Room of Requirement, which apparently has a back section. Uh, the last time the Room of Requirement was very wide open uh, for all of the practicing that the students right. did in Order of the Phoenix. Uh, this time, uh, it, is, it looks like the warehouse scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark, <laughs> yeah. uh, where top men are working on the Ark. Um, top men. <laughs> I just smoked my non-existent pipe. Um, <laughs> guys, we're going to do Indiana Jones. Not not right now, but we're going to do Indiana Jones. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, uh, but while Harry, Ron, and Hermione are inside, uh, Draco and Goyle have... Uh, cornered Harry along with a new uh, Slytherin flunky um, because the actor who played Crap apparently got into legal trouble. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it was before or after this film, but he was actually arrested for drug charges in mm. the UK. Um, and uh, as one commentator recently said, good casting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there's a big... Uh, fight, an explosion, during which Goyle is killed by his own fire spell. Uh, Harry rescues Draco and the nameless Slytherin, uh, and they all escape. Uh, the diadem of Ravenclaw is destroyed, and Voldemort knows that his time is coming soon. Uh, he whispers to Nagini, stay close! Um, <laughs> and we know at this point that Nagini is one of the Horcruxes. Mm -hmm. So Harry is throughout this film and the previous film at strategic points, able to see what Voldemort sees and sees that Nagini is the Horcrux. Um, 
And it's at this point in the movie that Voldemort and Harry and everyone goes to the boat dock to meet with Severus Snape, uh, the former headmaster of Hogwarts. And Voldemort just starts questioning Snape. Hey, why isn't the Elder Wand doing what it's supposed to do? It's not listening to me. It's not cooperating with me. I think it's because it really wants to be with you. You killed Dumbledore. It wants to be with you because it was his and you killed him. And that's uh, the point at which he kills Snape. Yeah. Slashes his throat and then has Nagini just smash into him several times with open fangs. And... It zooms out, we're on the other side of the glass, and we just see the snake strikes. Yeah. And the blood splatter against the glass. And Voldemort pieces out, just leaves. At this point, Harry comes around the corner to the dying Snape, and Snape says, take them, referring to his tears as he's mm -hmm. weeping. Hermione hands Harry a vial. He's able to take the tears and Snape's last words are, take them to the pensive. Mm -hmm. And Snape dies. What message could this possibly be? What could this mean? We're going to have to wait just a moment for a short break. When we come back, the conclusion to Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. All right, Harry and his friends make their way back to the castle. Harry makes his way up to Dumbledore's office, pulls out the pensive. For those of you who have forgotten what that is, it's a big bowl. Uh, it's a lot more flat than this, um, but memories are stored in it. And you're able to take the memories of someone and actually enter them, watch them, see them as if you were there. Uh, and so Snape in his final breath was able to give Harry some of his memories and we watch and we basically see Snape's story and we find out that from the time they were children Snape and Harry's mom Lily were best friends Snape uh, came along and befriended her after she had been made fun of by her own sister a young Aunt Petunia yeah. and Snape had pined after her and then she eventually fell in love with James Potter and got married and Snape had been a death eater and when he learned that uh, Voldemort was going to go after the Potters Snape defected and went to Voldemort, uh, Voldemort went to Dumbledore and said hey this is what's coming this is what's happening I'll do anything I'll do anything just keep them safe and then he finds Lily Potter and James and baby Harry and Lily and James dead and he weeps over them and we get some spectacular acting from Alan Rickman as Snape yeah um, and we find out that the whole reason he did anything through all of the story was because he loved Lily uh, we find out that he had stayed at Hogwarts to protect Harry. We find out that he uh, 
every action that he had done, including killing Dumbledore, had been to protect and to do this cause. Yeah. And he had he had effectively been a double or triple agent all of this time to to be a good guy. He became the bad guy. Right. And it was something as we were watching through it, I was trying to remember, I'm like, I thought he turned out to be the good guy, but it's not looking like that because he's joined Voldemort's team. Yes. And it's, um, it's a tragedy because first of all, he, he never got to, to get any of the benefit of it. And it's, it's this sad moment and it's only made worse because as we, as we exit this point we go down to the great hall where our heroes are collecting their wounded and their dead and we find that Fred Weasley has died and the Weasleys are gathered around and just weeping and it broke me I was I was tearing up while we were watching the movie I'm tearing up thinking about it right now um but uh the Weasleys are just wailing and uh, Remus Lupin uh, and Tonks, Harry's old professor and and his wife, uh, members of the order are dead. And they. the sad part is their hands are outstretched like they almost touch each other, yeah. but not. Nah. The last scene that it shows with them alive as they were protecting it was them just reaching for each other and just barely touching fingers. Yes. And, uh... And... As our clear... As our heroes collect their wounded and dead, Voldemort calls out and says, Hey, you guys have performed admirably. Um, we're pulling back. Um... I now speak directly to Harry Potter. You are a coward for letting all these people die for you. Uh, Bring yourself to us or every man, woman, and child that harbors you will die and suffer. And Harry knows from the vision of Snape that he's the last Hocrux. Yeah. Uh, after Nagini. And he knows that no matter what, he has to die. Yeah. And so Harry goes out to meet Voldemort alone. And as he walks out, he pulls out the snitch that he'd received from the Minister of Magic in Deathly Hallows Part 1. It said, I open at the close. And he says, I'm ready. I'm ready to die. And he kisses the snitch and it opens. And inside is the resurrection snow. And as he lets it hit the ground, his mom, his dad, Remus Lupin, Sirius Black, all gather around him. His family and loved ones have a word with him and talk with him. He asks, does it hurt to die? And uh, Sirius says, it's quicker than falling into a dream. 
And these people that he has watched go to the other side, tell him, it's okay, we're going to be with you. You won't see us, but we're always right here. And Harry goes to meet his fate and faces off with Voldemort. And Voldemort casts the killing curse. And Hagrid, who has been captured at this point, has to watch as his best friend dies. Mm -hmm. And it's a flash. And we're in a strange place. We're in what seems to be King's Crossing, but not King's Crossing. And, uh, we get a scene uh, where Dumbledore meets Harry at this station and says, Hey, um, don't worry about that creepy little thing over there. It's dying. You can't help him. That's what was left of Voldemort on you. And it's, it's done. Mm -hmm. And Harry goes, where am I? And he goes, well, you're at a station. And he goes, he goes, well, am I dead? And he goes, well, that's really up to you. He goes, you can go back or you can go on. It's up to you. Yeah. And uh, as Harry is about to leave and Dumbledore's walking on, and we have a scene that, honestly, if it hasn't already, I'm surprised no one has photoshopped it into uh, some sort of uh, poster saying that it's it's Jesus walking with you. Um <laughs> Sorry, anyone who was fooled by Obi-Wan Kenobi's picture thinking it was Jesus on Facebook. I've seen uh, it so many times. Oh, my goodness. Anyhow. Uh, Harry says, hey, is this real or is it just in my head? And Dumbledore says, of course this is all in your head. But what makes you think it's not real? And then we go back to the scene where Dumbledore where Voldemort has been bowled over by his own killing curse, but Harry lies still on the ground. And Narcissa Malfoy, Draco's mother, walks over and whispers, Is he alive? Draco? Is he alive? And Harry's head barely moves. But she goes, He's dead. And so the band of villains collect his body make Hagrid carry it Mm -hmm. back to the castle uh, where all of our broken heroes watch as the corpse of their friend is paraded in and at this point Voldemort goes no we've done it we've killed your hero Uh, submit go ahead come on over and uh, whoever doesn't, well, we'll let you know. Yeah. And Draco, at the beckoning of his mother, walks over just in a daze. In a daze. He's... He's very reluctant. Well, it's reluctant, but he's also not believing what's going on. Yeah. And he goes over to his mom... And on the way, Voldemort played beautifully. I I can't say enough how good Ray Fiennes is in this role. (laughs) He is fantastic. He defines this character. Yeah. And he walks up and gives Tom Felton as Draco this super awkward hug. 
And I've heard that that was ad-libbed. That was not in the script. And the discomfort on Tom Felton's face and the mirth on Ray Fine's face are totally real. Yeah. And just plays so well. Um, and then Neville Longbottom kind of hobbles over. He's got the sorting hat in his hand. And he goes, as he walks over, everyone's laughing because this boy, they, his parents were murdered because they resisted Voldemort and he's gonna submit. And he goes, I've got something to say. And Voldemort, you can tell he's just biting his tongue. He's like, go ahead, go ahead. And Neville goes, people died, but you know what? I don't care. I'm going to keep fighting as People long as die every day. As long as any of us is still alive, we're going to fight you. And pulls the sword of Gryffindor out of the sorting hat. And again, another cheerworthy moment. And right then, Harry busts up out of Hagrid's arms. And half of the Death Eaters are like, "Oh crap!" and disapparate, just leave. And you literally hear Bellatrix going, "Where are you going? Where are you going?" And the fight resumes. And it is on. Uh, Voldemort tries to cast the killing killing curse on Neville. Bounces it off the sword of Gryffindor. All sorts of fighting going on. The Malfoys beat a hasty retreat. They don't want any of this. They're not getting caught in this. They're done. They are done. They've had enough of Voldemort's crap. They are not get, They are not fighting for him. They are not dying for him. They are out of here. Uh, the fight resumes, and Harry is fighting at one point Voldemort with Nagini trying to sneak up behind him. Eventually, uh, between Hermione and Ron, they are able to separate Nagini from Voldemort. Eventually, they are able to corner Nagini while Neville kills him. And in the final duel, Harry and Voldemort just face off and Voldemort is beaten. Eventually he's disarmed by Harry and just disintegrates. And the battle is over. And the castle is in ruins. And we get to the final bit of the movie and we have to get one little final piece of exposition as everyone collects their thoughts of all right why didn't the wand work for Voldemort and we come to find out the reason is because the wand really after Dumbledore belonged to Malfoy and Harry disarmed it and so you okay yeah, I thought I'd turn my ringer off, but apparently I accidentally turned it back on. Nice. So, I was just trying to turn it back off. And, it's you know, okay. Sorry. You just had a look. Anyhow, long story short, uh, the the one belonged to the person who had disarmed Dumbledore, mm-hmm. which was Malfoy. Yeah. Harry breaks the wand and then throws the pieces into the same location. I'm like, eh, I think there's got to be a better way to get rid of it, but okay. Um, and we close out the story and then jump 19 years ahead where Harry and uh, Jenny Potter are taking their three children to the Hogwarts Express 
for the first day of school. And Albus Severus Potter is worried that he's going to be sorted into Slytherin. And Harry tells him, you know what? If you are, it's fine. One of the greatest men I knew, one of the men you're named for, was a Slytherin. And if so, that's okay. And if you want to be in Gryffindor, that's okay too. Yeah. And they send their child off to Hogwarts. And that's the end of this story. Or is it? Well, it's the end of this story, but it's the <laughs> beginning of uh, the London and Broadway play Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which you can read. Uh, and maybe one day will be turned into a movie, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's a story for another day on another favorite things. Yeah, maybe they'll make that one into a movie. I would love that. Uh, all that said, uh, I really dug this movie. Uh, Me too. It wrapped up really well. Um, I know there are detractors for this movie, and those people, yeah. They can have their opinion. Uh, <laughs> my opinion is I really enjoyed this. Yeah. It was um, it was a great way to end this story. And uh, yeah, it's it's one of those benchmark ending films. This uh, Avengers Endgame, uh, Return of the Jedi <laughs> are all great finales. Right at the end. Yeah. I think the cool weather's keeping them moving around. Yeah, they're wound up. Um, one yes. of the, one of the things that kind of made me start thinking of the part where um Voldemort was you know speaking to Harry and being like calling him a coward for letting all these people die for him. Mm -hmm. It just got me thinking of like the fact that he's you know all these people yeah they were standing up for Harry. But they were standing up for what was right and what was good. And if if Voldemort won, everybody's life would be in hell. So, so there's um, there's some commentary that was released around the time of these books and movies. And the greatest inspiration for J.K. Rowling, according to J.K. Rowling, for Voldemort was uh, Adolf Hitler. Mm. And Adolf Hitler. Uh, was someone who wound people up into a tizzy with anger and falsehoods. And yeah. um, he wound these people up to the point of doing things that on their own they probably wouldn't have. Yeah. And one of the many, many lies that he told was about the Aryan nation, the Ubermensch, the Superman. And this blonde-eyed, uh, blonde-eyed, blue-eyed, blonde-haired, <laughs> tall, super-masculine person, which was nothing like what Adolf Hitler was. Yeah. And the bad guy was the Jew. Adolf Hitler was part Jewish. Yeah. And for Voldemort, it's the Muggles. Yeah. Voldemort's part Muggle. Oh. Talking about purity of blood. Right talking about all of these things and talking about someone else being a coward while every time something bad happens close to Voldemort you look into his eyes and there's this frustration and fear yeah and he acts cowardly he hides 
behind. And all the people that were dying for him. He set up the Hocruxes so he never really had to face death. Right. And when he actually did, there's this yeah. just terror. But yeah, I don't know. That just kind of stuck out to me because these people weren't dying for Harry, really. They were dying for what was good, what was right, and for the good of everybody mm -hmm. because of the evil that would come yeah. if Voldemort overcame and won. Yeah. And um, but yeah, he put that on Harry where it made Harry think like, oh my gosh, I'm a coward. These people are dying for me for no good reason. Mm -hmm. Well, it, I think had that been it alone, Harry would have been like, well, hell no, I'm not going out there. Yeah. You're, you're just, you're a coward and you're trying yeah. to draw me out. But knowing what he knew that he yeah, needed he to die that was... for in order for Voldemort to be defeated, yeah. he he had to go yeah but no a great movie uh really enjoyed this franchise um uh, i hope that you've enjoyed the movies if not our podcast and uh i hope you'll enjoy those if you haven't already um so closing out next week we're either going to do casino royale or casino royale and quantum of solace depending on what we're able to get through before we podcast. Yeah. Um, and then hopefully we're going to get an episode or two in on Christmas type stuff before the holiday. Yes, that would be fun. Then we will take a short break and be back in the new year with something new. Yeah. So, uh, guys, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having a slightly longer than normal episode this week. I hope you'll join us next week for more favorite things. Bye.